Hello, and welcome to the XR Stories podcast, where extended reality and storytelling meet. In this series, you'll meet creative producer John Rose Adams. John will be talking to the creators and innovators behind immersive storytelling projects supported by XR Stories. You're going to hear about all sorts of interactive storytelling genres, from theatre to gaming to virtual reality escape rooms, and so much more. In this episode, we are joined again by Lucy from Pilot Theatre. This time, she's telling John all about Traitor, a virtual reality escape room thriller that combines the digital world with live performance and leaves you questioning who you can trust. But don't worry, this is a secure line and we won't be sending you on any missions until you have completed all your training. You can trust me on that. Well, hello, Lucy. Welcome back to the podcast. We spoke to you and Yo around another one of your amazing projects with the Archive. Today, we're going to talk to you about your project Traitor VR. But for our listeners, can you just remind us about Pilot Theatre and I guess your role within Pilot as well? Yes, of course. So I'm Lucy and I'm creative producer for Traitor and I'm projects producer at Pilot. And Pilot Theatre are a national and international touring theatre company making work for young audiences. And we see young audiences as sort of secondary school. So that's like 11 to 25. Um, But most of our work sort of speaks to, I'd say sort of 14 plus actually in our audiences. And our mission actually is to make work that makes people think harder and feel more, which I, I think ties in quite nicely to Traitor actually as a project. So go on then, pitch us Traitor. What's the story and what's the what what are the kind of the core elements of the piece? Traitor is a VR escape room thriller. You and one other person are new recruits for an agency called the Digital Espionage Division. A girl who is also another agency representative, Emma McCoy, has gone missing from a base in Switzerland and all she left behind was a backpack with a USB stick inside it. What the DED need to find out is what has happened to Emma and what is on the USB stick. It quickly transpires that it's a VR game that she made, but is it just a game? And as you investigate it together, what will you find out? You must be the trainees. Good. Let's get started. Remember, all information is classified and must not enter the public domain. You will not speak to anyone about this investigation. You will not discuss it with each other. You will be monitored at all times. So you described it as a VR piece. So can you just deconstruct that for us? So it's a mixture of live action, theatre and VR. So talk us through how that sort of plays out and works through as a piece. Yes, so the VR element is actually used in sort of a way that a lot of VR isn't usually used. It's not there to fully immerse one person in a world. It's used essentially to create two worlds in one. So one person wears the VR headset 
and the other person is in a real room with physical props that are, that are connected to the VR via Arduino. So we have an amazing control desk, which looks like a sort of retro piece of spy kit that um, the person outside of the VR uses. Halfway through the experience, they swap. So um, what the VR does is creates this sort of it's like a black landscape that has a light up grid um, inspired by Tron. That's the sort of visual. And it quickly transpires that things in the VR don't work without things in the real world. And things in the real world don't make sense without the things in the VR. So it's mostly about communication and using the sort of unusual fact that one person's in a headset and one person isn't to kind of push the, the story forward and also kind of unfurl those ideas of trust between two people can you trust that they're telling you what they're really seeing and vice versa and can you trust the the person that you're meeting in the room when you enter this is not a game this is real you've never heard of unicorn before that's because they don't want you to know about it yet but when the time comes it will be there in plain view unicorn how long was the experience? What was the duration? It roughly runs at about 30 minutes. It's been a challenge for us, actually. It runs pretty tight now at, at 30 minutes, 25 to 30 minutes. But um, depending on people's sort of affinity with technology and sometimes puzzle solving, it can push the time up or down. Um, if people are real escape room aficionados, they do it slightly quicker. Um, and we have had audiences where... We had one couple who was, wasn't one of Pilot's usual remit, but they were in their 60s. And it, to be fair, it only took them about 40 minutes, but um, it was a very different kind of experience. And that's the beauty of the piece, actually. It just totally depends on the relationship and dynamic between the two players. So there's a, there's also there's actors playing roles within within the performance. So so those actors also have a role to advance the story of the piece, but also I would assume to sort of nudge and help. I assume it's possible that players get stuck, you know, trying to solve the problem. So their role also to sort of nudge them through and help them get to the solution. Yeah, so we actually have kind of one official actor in the piece who plays the role of Commander Harris. And Commander Harris can be played by a man or a woman um, and is the sort of person that's been put in charge of this disaster thing that's happened, that this girl has disappeared. They're really sort of stretched and their character kind of has to has had to bring in these two trainees to play this USB stick game, which they think is just a nothingness. That's why they've got the trainees to come in and do it. That sort of role is there to kind of bring the emotional tension up as you see Commander Harris become more and more harassed by their boss on the phone when they're in the room, but also to kind of bring a sense of gravitas and pressure to the players that they've got to they've got to please them they've got to get this done it's it's absolutely important and they're also there to kind of plunge the players into the onboarding of the game explain the story bring them into the world it's sort of like that kind of west wing walk along the corridor while i explain the situation moment with these two people that's the kind of thing we're going for and then we've also got um agent miller who is also could be played by any anyone there's any gender who is in the room 
and is actually a technician and is running the experience, so secretly running the VR. So sorry for anyone that's going to see it, but that's ruined it for you now. <laughs> but, um, they're running the VR. Um, but they also kind of have some sneaky role in kind of shaping, making sure that if someone's really off the mark, as people sometimes go with, with looking at clues, they go down one route, that they kind of steer them back in the best possible way. And they also have a secret reveal at the end, um, which I shan't say now but it's quite exciting so they're not quite what you expect actually i've got a question around onboarding and vr so so for any vr experience um, and whether that's i guess in a festival or it's a, a vr video game onboarding a player in is notoriously nuanced and and difficult and it's it relates to how familiar the individual is with vr as a medium whether they've ever used it before but it's also to do with kind of where they get their expectations for what they're about to do from so you're embedding a vr experience into another form of immersive experience live theater i think you've probably got the best line on it how, how do you do it well did you what did you learn about how to bring people with it into and out of a vr headset and not break the magic well, I'd say it was definitely part of a big process. And like a lot of these projects that I've worked on, it was hugely collaborative. So there are many people that have the kind of credit for creating this onboarding because it was a really thorny issue for us. So there was the writer, Richard Herford, Rebecca Saw, who was an amazing assistant developer on the project, Matt Parker, who was the developer, and also Rachel Briscoe, who actually works for a company called Fast Familiar. She's a brilliant director and writer. And she came in for a kind of workshop day to work with us through this onboarding process as well. She actually came up with the technician having this slightly dual role as, as well, which, which comes into play with the onboarding. But the most important thing for me for the project was that I really did not want to break the world. I wanted from the moment you arrive at the experience, whether you're a festival or you're arriving at um, a sort of strange building that you've been told to meet at, that the first person you meet greets you as the trainees, you're not the audience. It's like, oh, you must be the trainees. We're so glad you've arrived. Put your stuff down, come and join us. So it, it was all about storytelling really. And that's really where the theatre element comes into it. And then what was great about um, bringing in that sort of Agent Miller role, which is the technician, is that they were allowed to not be overdramatic. They weren't, they were allowed to not really be a big character. They could come in the room and go, oh yes, look, here's all the equipment. Have you worn a headset before actually? I'm not sure if you've done that in your training yet. That might be a little bit early for you. Um, if you haven't, let me just let me just remind you or refresh you. So it was all part of that kind of story world of this idea that they were trainees brought in at the last minute. Maybe they know, maybe they don't. And it gives you a lot of freedom to kind of have all of that happen within the world of the story. And we also even had at the festival that we played at, Command, the person playing Commander Harris stomping around on the phone while they were waiting to go in. And obviously at that point, the two audience members don't know that that's going to be the person in the show. All they can hear is someone that's obviously being really stressed on the phone about something bad that's happened at work. And so we were just trying to build that world because uh, when I've been in VR before, the sort of kind of the sort of weird physicality of the headset and everything can feel um, quite sort of alienating when you really want to 
bring a story into play and I wanted it to be fully embedded in it. Of course, there's a VR headset here. It's essential to this whole thing kind of thing. Um, and it's not yeah. like put it on and now we tell the story. It's like put it on because it is the story. And I think that was a really important thing that we kind of worked through. Yeah, that sounds incredible. And you, you, you mentioned a festival there. I think you're talking about Tribeca. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, Tribeca Film Festival. Tell me about that because that's a great a great place to be at anyway um mm. but an incredible place to present this kind of work so how was that experience oh that was an amazing amazing experience for us it was absolutely incredible and when we were told that we were invited to participate in competition at the festival in new york that was an amazing thing and it was actually the world premiere of the piece because up until then we'd done play testing with people um but the very nature of it meant that you needed real audience members to to make it run. So really the, the first night was always just going to be the first time you ever did it with strangers almost. And that was amazing because we were amongst some incredible experiences from all over the world as part of their Storyscapes competition, but also part of the, the sort of immersive arcade that they had going. And um, we almost were given the perfect setup at the festival in that we had our own office room within this huge open warehouse space where other people had had to build booths and um, everything for their tethered headsets. We There was also someone that had built a huge sort of walkthrough set in there as well. We were actually given a really nondescript door in the corner of the room and um, it was brilliant. It worked so, so well. And we just had a great time there. And actually it was a real treat to kind of uh, play to American audiences because the themes of Traitor are all about data protection and and if your data is in the wrong hands, what that might mean, how data can influence our decisions, and to play it in that sort on that sort of international stage meant we got all kinds of different reactions from different audience members and it was just an amazing experience, such a great way to start off the project. When we became involved, you had you were trying to develop the project. So you're moving from the piece being for two audience members at a time and obviously performances being sort of scheduled back to back. But what were you trying to achieve as your next phase? So, yes, the Exile Stories um, bid that we put in was to explore this kind of very clear sort of division we'd found within the story, which was there was the world in the headset there was the world in the room and there was the world that Commander Harris went to when they left the room. And then there was also this other world where Emma potentially was. So a lot of the story actually in Traitor as the experience happens outside of the room that you're in, you hear conversations, someone's walking in, someone's calling someone in on the phone, people call you on the phone in the experience. So there's this real sense actually that there's an opportunity to expand the world for a wider audience in a really valuable way. And so what we wanted to do um, with XR Stories was start researching with our audiences their sense of that world outside of the room and really digging into, into that idea with them. So we did 30 performances in three different locations and we had audience members of all different ages come and experience it. And they were, we also had it in different formats where two of the locations we played at had um, 
ticket buying audience members who had bought a ticket to the show wanted to come and experience it as an entertainment and then the third was in a school with young people where they were not told what they were going to be doing they were just told to be at this room at a certain time and something was going to happen and then we devised with um Guy Schofield who was the academic with us on the project an exit interview basically with the audience and that actually in itself was a challenge because as with the onboarding, how do you break the world? Someone's just had a great experience. Their heart is thumping. They feel like they've done something brilliant. The last thing you want is someone to go, oh, well, you did you enjoy that? Let me just ask you a whole load of questions about it. And so we did get some delayed responses, particularly from adult audiences, because when someone's paid that ticket fee, you don't want to ruin that end for them. So we made sure we had other aspects of getting that info. But what we quickly found was with the response responses, and particularly with young people, which was important for pilot, was that every audience member that responded had a real sense of the world outside of the room. And they could remember character names. People were coming up with their own theories. They thought Commander Harris had already killed Emma, that there was some, and that's never said in the story or anything. They thought they were really suspicious of Commander Harris, that there was this other agent on the phone who they thought was maybe a double agent. So it, what was really positive about that was we could instantly see that they were already piecing together the extra bits for us, if you see what I mean. So I don't want to talk too much about that because then we went on to do a report that kind of uh, we workshopped a structure that we could then develop with further funding that would make it possible to play it with 30 people. So the ability to offer to 30 people at a time is obviously, uh, I guess, commercially is is more astute in, in some ways because, you know, you, you get more footfall, but also extends that sort of vocabulary of theatre that you've obviously had to sort of all that all the innovation in terms of bringing technology into the piece and a puzzle mechanic and how you interact with live actors and all of that stuff and then and then involving and engaging and giving that level of active engagement to a, a larger audience to us uh, sort of outside of your world how much harder is that to do in, in scope you know that to bring it to 30 people at a time is that does that mean you need a bigger cast as well. It was really difficult to come up with this. So we actually did, um, I think it was three full day workshops with the writer, the actor that had played Commander Harris in the productions that we'd done through XR Stories for the research and the technician that worked with us, who, who was Agent Miller for a couple of them as well. And then with with me and with Guy as well, with Guy Schofield from, from the university. And what we found was we sort of had to, it was almost like drawing a plan. There were things that were coming up again and again in the surveys, like um, there, there, were, there were the DED staff and what they meant. And then there was this other body who were like whistleblowers, like a kind of whistleblowing hacktivist kind of group that you sort of discover. And we thought, well, actually, we've got one room where one experience already happens. Commander Harris enters and leaves at different points. That's quite well-timed. It happens over half an hour. So let's then create that all those two audience members' worst fears. Their worst fears are that there are a hacktivist group in another room watching them. And their worst fear is also that the DED is in another room watching them. So what if we expanded that outside of the small room where the VR was happening and created 
two other teams, if you like, and we end up calling them team A and team B. One team would also enter as trainees into a DED office and meet Commander Harris, just as the two that go into the main experience do. And another group of people would go and meet the hacktivists, the people that had got caught up with Emma and the things that she had discovered. And what we then decided is, well, what would be fun is we, we, we created Traitor to happen in one room. This would have to, ha- have to happen in three spaces. But how cool would it be if you had to have two people from each space do some kind of espionage in the other room, bring in that puzzle element, some tasks? And in terms of technology, we were going to be looking at actually this idea that there's been a digital shutdown at DED because they know there's been a data leak. And with that in mind, you have to search through things in a quite analog way. So we'd still be having some sound. You'd be listening to audio files. We were, a couple of the tasks are things like having to piece together Emma's location through um, hearing a train announcement in the background on one of her recording phone calls. So it's all that kind of like spy and espionage stuff that we were trying to bring into it. And you've still got the time pressure because it all has to happen in the 30 minutes that the two people are doing the um, the VR experience. So we've built up the mechanisms, the world, and you'd need, we think, two more actors to do it. So it'd be three actors in total. Yeah, I'm really excited by it. I really hope we can do it. it. Just It was like this last year would have been a perfect time to develop that expanded version. But obviously, we've kind of been put on hold a little bit with everything. Yeah, I mean, there's an obvious next question there around um, how COVID sort of has changed or perhaps if what you've said interrupted kind of plans for Traitor. Um, is it the case that as we move out of, fingers crossed, move out of um, socially distanced, physically distant situations that Traitor can be reborn um, in its in its new form? Yeah, I well, unfortunately, last year we were actually booked for two more international festivals. So we were booked for VR Hamburg and for Republica in Berlin. And that would have been amazing. We were going to have our own room again. And that was for the two person version. And I wanted to kind of carry on that research that XR Stories had started us off on a little bit, just so that we had some more time and audience feedback and kind of that sort of hard, I don't want to call it hard evidence, but that sort of anecdotal evidence from audience members about their experiences. And then I think it would have given us the sort of bolster we needed for perhaps this year, looking for funding to find a way to expand the experience. So the beauty of Traitor is that unlike a lot of our theatre pieces, it exists in perpetuity in our digital repertoire. So it only takes one actor, one technician, one van. It can go into a school on demand. It can be toured on demand. And so I think the next step is to do some more of that touring on demand for a while in its current format, whilst we still think on how to kind of piece together the funding and the kind of uh, the prototype of that larger piece, if you see what I mean. We've got the planning in place. We just need almost like a practical trial. But yeah, I don't know, at this stage, it's quite hard because this year's sort of pushed so much stuff back. We're just going to have to to kind of work out where we're going. But I think tra- Traitor is still very much alive and it's going to be moving forward. So um, yeah, there are next steps, but I'm not quite sure exactly when. What's the touring and programming landscape looking like right now? Are festivals, are they sort of waking up again? I suppose they are really after sort of having to do one or two years of online versions. Yeah, I think they are waking up again. And I I was really hopeful actually that we were going to be able to be 
in VR Hamburg again this year, but they've gone totally online. So that's the thing with Traitor that's tricky for festivals is that we need to be able to physically be there in person for the piece to work. And so that sort of hampered its journey this year. We couldn't just quickly convert to a sort of remote version of the project. But, and I wouldn't want to do that. There were some people when we were first developing it saying, well, how do you distribute this online? How do you sell it through Steam? And I was thinking, but that's, the, what, what people love about it is the kind of mashup combination of the digital stuff mm. and the kind of weird human intensity of looking someone in the face and having to lie to them that you have to do with the actor in the, in the piece. So yeah, I think things will pick up and I'm really hopeful that Traitor will actually make an appearance next year. We'll, we'll have to wait and see how things are going. That was brilliant. It's so great to hear about um, Traitor. And I, I suppose going to the Pilot Theatre website to find out anything more, do you have some information about Traitor there still? Yeah, you can absolutely read about Traitor on our website. It's still actually in our current productions, I think. And brilliant. if if you're excited by the sound of Traitor, please get in touch with us. It is in our repertoire. So if you're if you're interested for your festival or, or for your school even, please get in touch with us because um, we'd love to get it back out on the road and, and, and get going with, uh, with performing again. That'd be great. Where, where do you think immersive interactive storytelling is at right now across sort of theatre is it is is your kind of work common in performing arts and theatre organizations or are you still kind of like niche innovators I don't think we are necessarily niche innovators I think there are companies out there that have been crossing that boundary of theatre interaction and audiences and the way audiences interact with their piece for a really long time. Companies like Blast Theory, Coney, there are, there are some brilliant theatre companies that have worked in this way for a really long time, actually. I think what is unusual about Pilot is that we have embraced digital technology in live performance. So projection, live streaming and sort of looking at digital elements online. But for a company like us, who sort of act in quite um, a more traditional theatre sense, I suppose, and that it, it's bringing a show into a theatre, it is quite unusual for a company like us to start branching out in this way. And I particularly think it's important because a lot of the interactive and immersive work is quite often made for sort of more of, of adult audiences. It's not specifically made for young people. And that's not to say those companies haven't done that, because I know they have worked a lot with young people, but... Um, I think that what Pilot are doing is is sort of trying to explore that space with younger audiences as well and bring them along for the ride, kind of do consultation with them, work with them in a way and really tailor these experiences as something that are exciting to experience. You know, your your work embraces all kinds of technology, really. And, and I think you mentioned before about how the technology for you is not the most important bit it's it's finding a technology that helps enhance your story but of all the sort of technological advancements we're seeing what ones excite you most at the moment uh, yeah i'm really excited about the future of vr particularly trying to bring it to young audiences who maybe don't have access to certain technologies and maybe outside of the gaming realm i think it's quite exciting to bring storytelling into that world but I'm also really excited about the idea of maybe looking at AI and sort of chat bots and things in terms of looking at storytelling, sort of that line between technology and humanity and kind of 
making stories around that. I know a lot of people are exploring that area, but I think that there's something quite exciting to do with that. And I'm very, I'm all for building new technologies into old familiar formats. Oh, that is, that sounds so exciting. Yeah, advancements in AI and, you know, conversational interactions are so, so naturalised now. It's actually really kind of uncanny. And that, that wonderful moment when it, it's hard to tell. There's so much creative potential in that. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you so much for your time. It's so good listening to you talk about Traitor um, and all of the incredible complexity that goes into producing a piece of theatre that willfully pushes boundaries in terms of what's possible with technology and what what audiences are going to love and, and enjoy. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for listening to the XR Stories podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review to help more people find us. You can find more information on our projects by heading to our website, xrstories.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter at xr underscore stories. XR Stories supports research and development in cutting-edge digital technologies in the Yorkshire and Humber region. We have a programme of funding, research collaboration and connection to champion a new future in storytelling. XR Stories is supported and funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council, the European Regional Development Fund, the University of York, the British Film Institute and Screen Yorkshire.